And one of my colleagues says to me after work, we're in the locking, locker room, and he says, oh, you have much on? I thought, yeah, have I had much on? Have you not, have you not heard my job over the radio? Have you not heard the, the fires I've been putting out? She says, oh, no, no, I was caught up on X, Y, Z. It's a funny thing when you're doing the job on the ground. You become so linear with regards to what you're doing. Because when he said that to me, I had no idea what he was doing, and I had no idea of the seriousness or lack thereof of his job. Now my job wasn't particularly serious, it was just one of those where there's loads of airwave commentary, there's, there's lots going on, there's all, all sorts of flashing, and just a lot of traffic. It's the kind of job that I would listen to if I overheard, but was nothing was nothing to do with. It's, it was, it's the kind of job that would get your attention. I thought, how, how dare you? Have you not heard my uh, my gallantry over the over the air? I'm wounded. And that, that's kind of emblematic of what what policing is like in general, really, or at least response policing, which is all, all I can speak to. We deal in that minutia, in the nitty gritty, in the, in the stuff right in right in front of you. It's a bit like the stuff I was talking about yesterday, where that's where the artistry of this trade comes in. My colleague was completely isolated within within his job, and I was completely isolated within mine. And with regards to mine, it was quite a gripping job actually for 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 a load of reasons some good some bad um, the the brief summary for the front screen is uh, police are called to um, we don't need to talk about what the actual job is but we're, we're called to a concern within a property and um, as it first came in as reported this was up there in, th in terms of the risk presented to to the residents there so everyone and his brother tips out for it and we get there and it it rapidly becomes apparent that things are not as they seem and I it's something I'm not particularly good at actually it was one of my other one of my colleagues that were on scene with me to begin with it was them who first suggested by just getting me to look at something um, and I, I will talk about what that is actually because this is um, this is the subject that I want, I want to discuss actually so it was a, um, empty wraps of drugs all over the coffee table now, that was not what we were called there for uh, in any regard but, it, but looking at this table it was quite clear that the persons present had been having, having a jolly old time prior to police arrival and prior to this alleged incident occurring. So I'm, I'm flying around the address clearing rooms 
working out a containment strategy and all this sort of stuff. I say working it out. I wasn't orchestrating it, of course. That was our control room doing that. But I was communicating with people on various different points of that control room. It was just me and my colleague inside the address at this time. And it was my colleague who was able to detach quicker than me because I, I gripped to the presented narrative. I, I aligned myself fully with, yep, yeah, this is the job, this is what's been reported, this is what's coming over the air, this is what we're dealing with. So it, in my head, I'm developing, um, I suppose I'm sort of spinning the old NDM, although we, you never actually think of it in that way, do you? But I'm, that's what I'm doing. And I'm thinking about various different options. What, what am I going to do if X occurs? What am I going to do if Y occurs? But actually, that I was trying to be so detailed within those parameters that I became sort of blind to countervailing evidence. Uh, exhibit A being this great big pile of scratched up cling film on the coffee table. And as soon as I had that bit of information, I, I established a counter-narrative and then I started, I, I, I zoomed out from that moment and I started weighing up, is there another explanation for the information I'm being presented with here? It's something I've got to get better at. I think it, it probably happens most when I'm at a job where the report we've received is something that I'd quite like to deal with. It's almost like I, I become attached to the uh, what I'll personally get from from this job. And this job, as it was presented, was exactly the kind of job I like. And my colleague, thinking about it, isn't like that. He he doesn't really gravitate to the aspects of the job that I am compelled towards and I think that it circles back to that theme I think I was talking about yesterday um, about our, how emotions in these moments aren't, aren't a good thing and I suppose that my my want for it to be a certain type of job to be presented with a certain type of threat, my desire for that is emotional and it's clouded my peripheral judgment um, and I've, I suppose I've developed a bit of a confirmation bias um, because as I was moving through this house, at no point until my colleague nodded to that table did I did I consider the authenticity of what we were being told so to plug in a bit more detail here the two residents there were absolutely fucking mullered I mean don't know where the floor is mullered I can't speak don't know their own names and it was readily apparent that 
once that once that information was factored in to my assessment, it was readily apparent to, to me and everyone else there that what they were reporting was actually the product of a, a drug-induced paranoia. And prior to the job, I'd never really never really experienced people in this groove if someone would have explained it to me I'd have probably written the explanation off as a bit melodramatic um, I had people around me who use drugs recreationally but not like this These these two individuals had taken their particular drug of choice until they were barely alive anymore. And it's it's a sort of cartoonish portrayal of the effects of drugs in these moments. Um, thinking back on it now it sort of looks like there might be some degree of affect coming into play there might be an element of, of theatre to it they look like somebody playing a junkie but of course they're not they're, this, is, this is their life and to them what they had reported was absolutely real. I am not. I, I, I'm not psychologically talented. Um, I don't know exactly how two people create the kind of shared delusion. Um, I suppose shooting from the hip, it would be something to do with the suggestibility of that state of mind. Um, and the enveloping paranoia that, that ensues once once an idea has taken hold, particularly an idea like the like the one they were reporting. I, I can imagine it would be very frightening to be going through what they thought they were going through. And it, it made me think of of an old debate, or a debate that's been going on for some time, uh, that until reasonably recently, over the next couple of years, uh, le sorry, over the last couple of years, uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't aware of. Uh, I thought this as I was looking down at them, and we, everything had settled down, and we had a working hypothesis, and every, every new piece of information that we recovered from the scene, or the two people there, it supported that working hypothesis. That, that hypothesis being that this this incident had never occurred, and it, it was entirely the product of a of a drug-induced paranoid episode. I stared down at these broken people, um, and. same thing that that always gets me in these situations where I'm 
I'm rumbling through a job okay, um, sort of spinning plates, working it out as we go, coming to something of a conclusion, uh, and I've I've managed to sort of navigate this this slalom without having too many tumbles and, and falls. And then I I pan to my left, and there is one of those child bouncer things and I just have that moment again I think for fuck's sake this is all fun and games for you but look at that thing um, this is this is not a game for that, that little person who whoever they are didn't know they were at this point that, that sits in that chair hedging my bets that you you don't moderate this behaviour um, and break out the Bible study when this person is around. And it's this moment that brings this debate into my head. And that, that is, uh, bear with me on this, I will try and tie it together, uh, a debate between, it is a post-enlightenment debate between empiricism and rationalism. In reverse order. Rationalism is uh, the position from causal reason so from logic and abstraction analogy uh, deduction these are all tools of rationalism empiricism is like rationalism and then some you see empiricism uses rationalism to develop hypotheses and then test them in the world physical things are done in order to disprove or prove the initial idea and the key detail with empiricism is whatever the product of that real world testing is that is carried forward as the truth even if you can't post hoc establish a, a causal link between the phenomena you're, you're investigating or, the, or the, the consequences of the of what you're investigating even if you can't find a, a rational explanation even if you can't see all the philosophical mechanics at play which in order to make a good rationalist argument you would have to have um, you can't as a rationalist or to make a rationalist argument you can't say uh, this just works because look at this but that that is often how the empiricists behave. It's an old debate, um, but, but, uh, like I mentioned, one I wasn't, wasn't aware of personally, and I've tried to decide where I, where I stand uh, between, or maybe even in those two, those two camps, two sections. I feel in moments like today, staring down at those two people, that I I could lean towards the towards the empiricist side of the house. Because when it comes to drugs, the recreational use of them, I know drugs is a big big suitcase term, but I'm 
you know you, you you understand what I mean by by drugs I'm not talking about paracetamol and ibuprofen of course um, the recreational use of of drugs uh, as we understand them in the, as we understand them in a policing context is something that if you if you sat me down in a pub with a Guinness and asked me to think as a rationalist about that concept, about the question uh, of whether or not recreational recreational drugs should be should be legal. You would probably find me speaking like a libertarian. I would probably say things like, I don't know how the state um, forms its authority. Again, we, we return back to that philosophical idea of quo varanto. By what right does the state tell me what I can put inside my body, uh, what I can do with with my own personhood? Who, who on earth is the state to tell me that? Um, I can't find you a rationalist argument against that. Um, I know there is the uh, there is the context-dependent question of the the NHS in the United Kingdom because um, we, or is it England? Do you know, I don't, does Scotland have an NHS? Is, it, is healthcare nationalised in Scotland? What a terrible thing for me not to know. I don't know that, folks. Um, but anyway, the uh, the National Health Service. Um, I recognise the the argument that if I can take whatever drugs I like, fuck up my body as much as I like, and then present myself in a hospital and expect all the treatment to be afforded to me. In what way is that just? Um, that, to me, seems a separate argument. We, you seem to drift away from the principle at hand. Um, you, you immediately then start sliding into, well, what, what else do we ban then on, on those grounds? That Because how our healthcare is nationalised, do we start to ban bungee jumping and whitewater rafting? Uh, do we ban... Uh, alcohol? Do we, do, do we ban anything that places a burden on a, uh, uh, a socially funded healthcare system? It's a separate argument, I think. I think it's useful for, for this question to, to try and try and deal with the matter without bringing in the, uh, the context-dependent issue of the National Health Service. So, in that moment, in that house, looking down at those people, asking for the fourth time, describe this person to me. And them either offering a, a reply to a question I did not ask, or offering no reply at all. I would say to you in that moment, ban this shit. Don't let anyone use it. Because this and its consequences are not worth that freedom.
we again come to that that dichotomy between liberty and security and see how the scale slides there between the, the liberty to do or the liberty to imbibe whatever substances you like and the security of let's make it a, the cleanest argument possible that the security of other people to be free from the consequences of your neglectful behaviour, particularly where children are concerned. This is not me coming to you with a with a with a proposed solution. I'm not declaring that because of the because of the pronounced example of these two individuals and the millions of individuals like them should ban these drugs altogether. I still actually that's not true, that's not what I think. That, yeah, that's not what I think. I I firmly believe that certainly the drugs that these people were taking should be banned. I think the state should should make a decision in our own interests, even though saying that makes my skin crawl, uh, because any any paternalistic language that's being offered by the state should make everyone feel uncomfortable. That that is not the role of a state in a free society. Uh, the state is not there to be uh, a guiding father figure or a bigger brother that is what that is exactly what the the parable of 1984 is it's it's, it's uh, an exaggerated and, and steroid fueled narrative about what happens when you when the citizenry allow their state to become that way, uh, where the where the state, where the regime professes to know exactly what is best for the people within its borders, and can use unbounded force to to exact its own opinion of how people should be. This is a very dangerous idea. But when you get on the ground and you look at these these individuals, there is no way on God's green earth that I want these people to be able to legally do this. There is no way I'd want these substances legalized. So, so I suppose I've, I've I've worked through the problem at least on on this question for for myself. Um, when it comes to the use of recreational drugs, I would have to say I'm an empiricist.
suppose I would have to make the case that look at what these substances do. Look at the chaos they breed. Look at the way that they rip the soul out of people in their communities and the children of those people in their communities, which is, which is, a, for me, the key detail. Our, our job is to uh, make a defense of the innocent and that there, there is nothing more innocent than the child. That's, that's why, that's why children in this job They are the gut-wrenching element of, of the job. You, I've, I've spoken before about that, that coppers humour. Except kids. That is the one thing I never hear joked about. I never hear... I mean, let's be clear. Once you're getting into the teenage years of regular mispers and that sort of thing, you hear jokes about that. But... When a child has been wronged, a child has been exposed to uh, to abuse or even the victim of abuse, neglect. That is never the subject of humour, and that that's telling for us. And, and I would I would submit that 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 is indicative of the fact that they they are the representation, the embodiment of of innocence, but both at the personal level and at the societal level, they are. They are the things we could be uh, as we move forward, and when we when we look at empty child rocking seats in in houses where where people are so annihilated that they cannot speak, and we see, I think, uh, a vision of the future that is. That is to speak in the most conservative terms, undesirable. Um, just because we're we're on the we're on the, uh, the subject of 1984, the um, maybe the most arresting line in all, all fiction that I've come across is um, is written by Orwell at the end of 1984 in the closing chapters, where um, there is nothing anymore, um, and Winston Smith, the great resistor throughout all of the book has finally yielded to to Big Brother. Not just yielded uh, but he, he's infatuated with uh, with the state. Uh, he, he wants to serve the, the, the tyranny that views him only as sort of raw substance. And he writes something uh, about, the, about the, the, the future that cascades from that moment and it's the same it, the same line could be said about the way at least I feel when I look at these children um, and the line is as follows he says if you want an image of the future imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever it's good at a number of levels it's, it's classically Orwell in its language there's no Sorry about that, I had a phone call. Um, just pull it off here, two seconds. Um, where was I? Uh, that Orwell line. Yes, uh, it's, it, it's classically Orwell in that it, the language is basic, uh, 
I don't mean to just do a disservice to Orwell. He's a he's an outstanding writer, but not exactly um, uh, the prose aren't exactly technically advanced, uh, although they are they are extremely powerful because of their because of their simplicity. Uh, they've got sort of punches you as he writes um, if you want an image of the future imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever all short blunt Saxon words uh, really compelling sentence and that, that, that is that is sort of how I feel when I look at these young people um, and it's a conversation for another day but Once the family unit has 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 gone, um, and and it and it and it will have gone generations before. By the way, this isn't some this isn't a uh, a moral failing on on the part of these two individuals. Fifteen twenty years ago, they would have been that young person who uses that little tiny rocking chair. So uh, this is uh, although I, I struggle with this word, this is a systemic problem. Anyway, uh, I thought it was worth talking about that that dichotomy between rationalism and empiricism, and when uh, when the rubber meets the road, when it really comes down to the hard and fast decision making. Uh, I'm probably more of an empiricist than I I would like to think, or at least the um, uh, the Guinness swilling philosopher in the pub version of me would uh, would like to think that is it for today my friends uh, be good look after each other uh, share subscribe write review if you could that'd be awesome uh, tell people about it if you about the podcast if you think they'd like it get in touch with me you can message me on instagram at ukcoppodcast.com there's dots between the words look after yourself folks I'll speak to you soon bye bye